When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. Potentially going to be the title, but potentially working title, JavaScript Basics. Learn these concepts first. What we're going to be talking about is, uh, well, JavaScript basics, but I looked at it through sort of the lens of an absolute beginner or someone looking up, uh, like Googling things when they're not quite sure what they are. Uh, so things like high level concepts, such as what, what are variables? Um, Mike talks about arrays later on. I talk about how to make your code make decisions, like how do you make decisions with conditional statements, uh, switch case, those type of things. Uh, how do you store multiple values in one place? Those are arrays those, and then going through them with loops. What are functions and why would you need functions and, and why, like what's their purpose and what do they do? So those type of things. So these concepts are very much things that what Mike and I had discussed is, you know, there's, there's a lot of other concepts out there. There's, Talking APIs, there's asynchronous stuff, there's, um, you know, temperate literals, there's, I'm just listing off a whole bunch of things that I would consider more advanced. But I wanted this episode to, to, to really kind of cover the concepts. We're not getting into specific methods for the most part, but really sort of nail down, Hey, if you know these sort of key concepts, you can build quite a, quite a few apps and then further Googling, further research and further you go like if you look at a stack overflow snippet or something, you'll see like a do loop and be like, Oh, okay. I should do like maybe what, like what's that? Or you'll see someone write async at some point and you'll be like, what is that? And then you kind of expand yourself. But these are the core concepts that I learned in high school, not specifically for JavaScript. I learned them for visual basic, but I've kind of extrapolated them and pushed them onto JavaScript. And so I hope it helps anyone out there that's sort of uh, confused or is thinking about getting into programming potentially for the first time where they're like, hey, you know what? What is JavaScript like? What is programming like? So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And the very first segment here, what are variables? So variables, they store data under a name of our choosing. Now, there are limitations on the name. Uh, I'm not going to get into all all the little nitty-gritty bits of all this stuff, but there are certain naming convention things that if you try to write some crazy variable name, it will error out, it will mess up. But you basically choose a name, so you could call it num1 or number or, you know, hello or whatever. You can call it a whole bunch of things. And they're declared by using var, let, or const. Var is for declaring what I would call a general variable. It just generally declares a variable. And what I mean, what do I mean by declare? Declare is in you're saying, you know, var, let's say I literally have a variable called Mike. I'm looking at Mike at a webcam. Hello. And I literally have var Mike that is declaring a variable called Mike. And then I can now use it. I can store some data in there. I can store a number. I can store some text. I can store a true or a false. I can store whatever I want in there. Not, not, not everything, and not, I guess not anything, but it's what we use to store data. 
things that are compatible with JavaScript. Kind of want to tackle the store data concept because that might confuse people as well. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like if I'm taking myself back to when I was learning programming or when I was learning anything to do with programming, I think storing data in my head would be like, hey, like saving it on my hard drive. But this isn't what oh, we're talking right. about. So store data, what we talk about is there's something called, like when you're building an application, as the application is running, it has application memory, right? So there's, as it's running, it could be running for one second. It could be running for milliseconds. It could be running for 10 seconds. It could be running for a minute. As it's running, you're storing data in a variable for the duration of its existence, the application's existence, okay? So if you're going to a website and you're viewing that website, as you're viewing it, there's data being stored. And if you're interacting with it, that data can be changing. And that can only be stored in a variable for while you're accessing the uh, website. When you leave the website, when you close that tab and you come back, all that stuff needs to be restored and reinitiated and all that. This is what we're talking about in terms of data storage in variables. There are different ways where you can store data for longer periods of time for when you come back to a tab, when you, you know, uh, save something, when you access it from a different uh, computer or a different phone. There's ways you can do that, but that's not going to be variables. That's going to be a completely different concept. We won't cover it in this episode, but as we go and create more advanced episodes in this method where we discuss things very low level or very high level to make sure that everyone understands coming in, I think we'll cover these topics on how to do all different kinds of data storage. It's a good point because I do remember learning what variables are in like data storage in high school. And it was kind of, well, it was, it was well after I had learned a whole bunch at the time of Q basic commands. And at that point I was sort of like, why would I need to store data? You know, it's like storing data for what reason, but now it's so second nature. It's almost hard to go back to those days. So it's a good thing you kind of brought attention to that. Um, but there are two kind of three-ish types of variables we're going to be talking about. The first type is called global. And global can be access- can be accessed anywhere in the program. So you might have something that you want the entire program to know, such as the light or dark theme. The entire program should know that so that it can adjust its styles. The entire web page can adjust its styles. That would be something that you might want as a global variable. There's also one that is not as global. It's not accessed by the whole program, and it's called local. And these can be accessed only where it is declared. Now, usually it's within a function slash function scope. And this is where I'm going to sort of, this is where things are going to get a little wishy-washy. So there's global. There's local, but then there's also this other thing called block scope. And this was added in ES6, which is the latest version of uh, JavaScript. And these variables can only be accessed within the curly braces in which it was declared. So, for example, and we'll talk about this later, but if you had an if statement, which needs in its own syntax some curly braces, you could declare something within one of the if statements and it would only be within that little block scope. So that I'm calling block scope, like just personally from my own understanding, sort of a subset of local, but it's just something to consider or something to note, because when you're if you ever Google the theory on this stuff or if you ever look this stuff up, there is a difference between global, local, and then there is also block scope. Before we jump into the next part here, I do want to bring up two more 
uh, important variable, maybe subtypes or main types. I don't know. They, these can be both global and local. They're not like additional ones that Matt, that Matt, um, that are like part of this, but essentially variables in programming in general are one of two things. They can be changed or they can be constant. So that's another thing, part process that you have to understand in programming. A lot of times you'll see variables that are constants usually be like a long string of numbers or a, 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 you know, a declarative name or something like that. And in JavaScript, we have a const declaration of them. Matt mentioned that in the previous section where we have var, let, and const. Const is what you would use for something that is not going to change from one, from one function to another, or when, you know, as you're running a application, it's not going to change. It's going to remain the same. Whereas a variable that can change or will need to change, you can use something called let to declare it. So that will indicate to the web or to your compiler or whatever you're going to use, uh, to know that, Hey, this variable might change. So now whenever you change it, it will detect that change and you can, you can change it all you want as you go. So I think it's important to understand those two concepts of like being able to change a variable and not being able to change a variable. The reason slightly just going deeper a little bit, uh, the reason behind that is that a variable that doesn't need to change uses up less memory storage in your application because you don't have to account for that change. Okay. So when you're, Thinking about writing, uh, writing your code, just think about like default to, Hey, this probably won't change. If it needs to change, then use let, then use a variable that can change just to give you a little bit of perspective. Well, you and I also had a, had a discussion earlier and that is like, obviously there's your var, there's your let, there's your const. Now before, and I think it was maybe up till 2015, var was the thing that we all used. That was the thing that we, you know, var meaning VAR, you're declaring a general, what I would call a general variable. Um, and then you said, you know, after that, shortly after that time, you don't really use them anymore and you've kind of replaced var with let. And then you also have const, which you just explained. Now, obviously const can be used, like you're saying about it saves memory, but it also, it also, also for, I mean, quote unquote security, meaning programming functionality security in that you sometimes don't want a variable to be changed by something like another programmer might come in and they might try to change what your const value is. Um, can you kind of elaborate on that in that, you know, should you be using var anymore? Because if you look up, for example, just an, on, on W3 schools, even it will say something along the lines of var is for, you know, older programs. If you need to support older browsers, that's what you should be using. Whereas like Latin const is what you should be using. And you should be using them based on their specific context. I would hesitate to ever use var again. Uh, personally, I'm, I try to use let or const in all of my programming pretty much ever since they've been introduced. Uh, and realistically, like let and var are very similar. There are slight differences, especially in scoping. I don't have them right at the top of my head and I don't want to get into the weeds for that. I don't think that's relevant in this, in, in this kind of episode, but just know that let and var are the newer standards. And because of that, they are also the safer and the safer standards moving forward. So if you use var for a specific reason that where let does not work, then you want, you might want to, instead of like, instead of like pushing it in there, you might want to look at refactoring a little bit to go into a more, a newer format and using let instead. So that's kind of, that's where I am. Like some, I remember when it first started, I caught myself a few times using var because 
of the scoping issue that I was talking about. But I was like, oh, I can just refactor this and reformat this. I can rewrite this to use let instead. And it's going to be a little bit cleaner and a little bit more modern and a little bit easier to read down the line when someone picks up my code or if someone picks up my code later. There is also, I suppose, the angle of what would you say? So let's just say someone is is, is coming like, like they're listening to this episode, but they're not coming from a complete newbie place but they're coming from a dated place where maybe they use javascript you know pre-fit 2015 maybe they even used it you know in 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 2010 or something and uh, like a while ago or even even before that as i'm sure even we uh, you and i mike have have used it before that um if they're if they're kind of thinking okay you know it, it it seems simple you know oh we're not using var anymore let's use that let's use const is it okay to use let just instead of var if in doubt kind of thing? Like, is this something where if they don't want to be messing around with, because like var is almost, like, this is going to sound weird, but var is almost so liberating in that you're kind of just declaring a general variable. You're firing it out there. You can set it. You can mess around with it. You can, you know, do whatever. But then this const, it's a simple concept, but when a program starts becoming sort of a, a net of a bunch of functions, a bunch of methods going off. You might be like, Hey, I need to set this really quick. And then it's a const. It's just kind of annoying. So is it safe? Would you say like, is it okay to just, if you're, if you're from uh, like the old, you know, ES, like pre ES six, wherever you were and you were using var, is it just safe to go, okay, I'm just going to replace all my vars with let's or should you be like really granularly selecting let and const obviously again simple concept it sounds like i'm making it sound serious but it really depends because like i said there is a slight difference in scoping between let and var um you could try like you could literally just do a find and replace on your code and just try to replace all vars with lets and see what happens Mm -hmm. um but i would hesitate to recommend that because again i have run into several issues where like i was using var and then I tried a let and then all of a sudden it wasn't working in the intended way that I wanted it to. Like it was taking, uh, I think, I think the problem comes in from, um, uh, shoot. I can't remember the technical term for it. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to look it up when Matt's talking and I'll, I'll bring it back up. But anyway, the, there is a, s- a small problem when using var versus let it could bite you in the butt. If you just do a find and replace, you could try it, but I wouldn't rely on that method. If you're, Going in and, you know, maintaining an old code base, would I recommend changing everything? Um, it depends. If you're the only maintainer, if it's a small amount of users, I wouldn't bother. I would just continue maintaining it the way it is. If it's something that you're trying to pass off to a larger team or you're sold or something like that, or you're, you're part of a larger team that's maintaining an old code base, it might start making sense to put in refactoring and like maybe file by file replace them as you go. You know what I mean? Do it uh, small increments at a time, just like with any refactoring, just like with any rewriting, you want to do it in smaller increments. Do it, test, do it, test, do it, test. Uh, but as a general rule of thumb, if it's something small, I wouldn't bother. Okay. Can you can you elaborate? Like you did talk about the scoping differences, but can you elaborate on – so like we have these uh, – what I'm going to call like the three scopes. You have your local, your glo- your, glo- your global, your local, and then obviously your block scope, which I'm calling like sort of a subset of local. Like what 
do people need to worry about these meshing with each other with let and cons? Like, is this something that like you constantly need to be sort of aware of and constantly need to be messing with? Or is it like, are these just edge cases? Like, what is the... For let and const, sorry. Yeah, because you were saying it's a scoping. Like you were saying that that it's a like there's 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 a difference in scoping there. So like what oh. what is the what is the scoping difference in that? So the only difference in scoping is between let and var, right? Not between let and const. Let and const have the same scoping. So that like you said, there's global scope and local scope. Let and uh, let and const are both kind of locally scoped, where if they're declared. Within curly braces, you can use them whatever, even in children uh, of that of those curly braces. But if they're declared outside of the curly braces, then they're globally scoped. Var is a slightly different, and here I'm going to read this out, and we'll see if we can interpret it. Variables declared by let are only available inside the block that they are defined. So that's what we were defining just now with the locally scoped, right? Whereas variables declared by var are available throughout the function in which they're declared. So if a var variable is declared, like let's say you have a function called function one. Mm-hmm. Inside that function, you have an if statement. Okay. Now you have a, you know, squarely brackets inside of squarely brackets. But if you declare a function var inside of an if, in, in, <laughs> an if statement inside of a function, but you declare it with a var, it is now available. It is hoisted to the, to the main function. Whereas if you declare a let inside of an if statement of that global fun- of that uh, main function, that let is only available in that if statement. You cannot read it outside of that if statement. So this is where the confusion, it can get a little bit confusing. You can have overwrites. You can have some weird instances where like logic doesn't make sense as you're moving to a new system where everything is locally scoped in block scope. If you start mixing and matching let and vars, it's just going to be kind of chaos all over the place. Right. Okay. So just just to sort of reiterate it, just to for my own sanity, <laughs> we have global scope. And global scope, it can be accessed anywhere in the program, whether it's a var, whether it's a let, or whether it's a const. That's fine. Yeah, that's right. For the local scope, the traditional way with a var, so the old way with a var, is that it would just be within a function or within a function scope. So I, de- I declare a function, which we will cover later in this episode, but I declare a function called like calculate numbers and I put a var in there called number one, whatever, num one, whatever the heck you want to call it. And that's it. Like that is that number one. Like that variable, the data stored within that variable called number one is only available inside of that function. So that's that. For block scope, for block scope, which is an ES6 thing, can o- things can only be accessed within the curly braces uh, in which it was declared. So again, I'm kind of calling this a subset of local, meaning that if I had a function called calculate numbers and inside of that function, I had uh, an if statement, a conditional statement that had some curly braces in it just because that's a part of the conditional statement or an if, if else statements, um, uh, syntax. If I declared something within the curly brackets, the curly braces of the first if, let's just say it's like if, you know, if the number is equal to one, then we do this and that's our curly braces. If that's the case, then if I did a var in there, it's accessible in the whole entire function. In the, in the function, in all the else ifs, in all the else's, all that stuff, or in the one else, I guess, but it, it throughout the whole thing. But if I do a let or a const inside of there, it's still block scoped, or it, sorry, it is block scoped, meaning it's only within, if I only, if I put a let in the first if, it's only available in that first if. Yes, that's correct. 
Yeah, you, you broke it down exactly right. And this is a good example, honestly, of the things that you kind of don't pay attention to once you've learned it once. You kind of learn it once and you just kind of like, you know, go off and you just sort of make programs. And then sometimes you'll be like, why isn't this working? You're like, oh, shoot, this is why, because I forgot about block scoping or whatever the case is. So, okay, good to clarify. That's good. What can we store in variables now? Now, the JavaScript can have a bunch of different data types. For variable basics, like what we're covering here today, I think the most important to understand are string, number, and Boolean. So a string is some text. So whether it's a single word like hello, or whether it's like a phrase like hello, my name is Mike, whatever the heck it is, right? The second one is a number. So a number is what you exactly what you think it is. But in this particular case, it's a number that can be used in a formula. So it can be used to like, you know, one plus one, two plus two, three plus three, because you can have numbers, meaning literally like the number characters inside of a string, because it might be a part of a sentence, like two apples might be a string, but you can't really, you can't really do a calculation on that because it's two apples. You can't add two apples plus three apples. Now, what are you adding together? Like you're Adding two strings together doesn't make sense. So number is what you're using generally in, in a formula in which you can actually go in there and do some math to it is, is for variable basics. That's basically what you need to know. And then a Boolean is based on the binary states. So it's based on on or off or a one or a zero, right? One meaning on zero meaning off also true and false. And this is good to store things if it's just a quick check. So instead of you storing a string or a number in there, you might go, oh, hey, like, you know, is um, is this switch toggled in, in your program? You might just have a Boolean that tracks that one if it is toggled on zero if it's off. Really simple stuff like that. So, again, there's are there's more data types, but those are sort of the three main ones. And in the order, you'll probably end up using them. String and number, probably you'll use them equally as much as you kind of need through any program. Boolean, you can kind of get away with just having numbers or different strings to track, but a Boolean is helpful, and I'm sure you'll start using it as you get more familiar with JavaScript data types. So I have an example here just to sort of wrap this little section up about variables, and that's it. You know, if you want to track whether a user has dark mode on or off, you can store a value like the word light, or you can store a, a value like the word dark in a variable called light theme. You can store that. And then your program can programmatically check whenever it needs to, like, hey, what is the value of light theme? And, oh, it's light, so we're on light theme. Or, oh, it's dark, we're on dark theme, and then it makes its appropriate styling changes. Now, you might be thinking, well, hey, that's only two states, and this is exactly what I mean. So we're able to get around the idea of a Boolean, which is probably what you should be using here because there's only two states. It's light and it's dark. So a Boolean, true or false, this might be ideal here, but you could just use a string if you're not quite understanding in your um, in your code, if you're not quite getting like, hey, you know, I, I don't really understand what the heck a Boolean is. You could get away with just having light or dark or, you know, a number of other different ways to track your, uh, your dark mode on or off, basically. Now, what are functions? So functions are a very kind of key thing that you're going to see in, in many snippets. If, if the snippet's more than, say, 10 lines, chances are that some functions are going to start be, being used. And from MDN, I'll read this out, and then I'll kind of explain it in more the way that I understand it in my own head. So from MDN, a direct quote is, a function in JavaScript is similar to a procedure, a set of statements that performs a task or calculates a value. But for a procedure to qualify as a function, it should take some input and return an output where there is some obvious relationship between the input input and the output. So not that hard to understand, not that hard to understand, not that hard to really kind of get through. But the way I look at 
uh, functions is I see them as code snippets that you can co- that you can call whenever you need to by name and as many times as you need to. It's not just a one and done. So for example, you might have a function that you will name. Let's just say we, we, we're going to call the function add numbers and add numbers. That function is sole purpose is to add two numbers together that you now want to store into a sum variable. So you might pass two numbers, meaning that you're literally telling the function add numbers like, hey, add the number one and the number two, and then store the sum, which will be three, one plus two. We want to store that in a sum global variable, or we can store it in whatever name we want. We could even have have a global variable called added numbers. You get to choose the name. Now, you can call this function whenever you'd like. And this is the key thing, because you might think, well, I can already do this. It's just adding two numbers. In this case, I'm adding a one and I'm adding a two. Like what's, you know, why would I care to do this? Well, it, it mitigates the need to place this code snippet in multiple places throughout your code. And if you're adding two numbers together frequently, and especially if those numbers change, it's not always one and a two, you can pass in whatever you want. So you could say, have the user fill in two different input fields and then one of the one of them is representing num1 another one is representing num2 and you can pass those two numbers you can give those two numbers to your add numbers function and then the snippet inside the the, the statements inside the code inside of add numbers will execute in this case they're going to sum the numbers together and put it into a sum variable or an added numbers variable and then that's what that's what that does. And this allows you to now be more versatile in that you don't have to have a whole bunch of like added like we're going to add these two numbers over here, then add these two numbers here, these two numbers here. And you just constantly throughout your code, adding numbers together, you're able to call these functions whenever you see fit. Now, this is a very, very simple example. And as you can probably guess, this function sort of idea is going to be much more helpful, if not probably required in more complex programs where you'll be doing more advanced functions. Like, for example, you might be interpreting, you might be grabbing and interpreting an RSS feed, and maybe you'll name the function get RSS, and you'll give it the URL, you'll pass in the URL of the RSS feed, and then the function does all the work. It looks at the RSS feed, checks if it's valid, you know, maybe saves it saves it in a, saves the contents in a variable somewhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you need to do. But this allows you to not have, like, if you need to be pulling in several, like, let's say you're pulling in four RSS feeds for your program, you don't need to have the same RSS, the get RSS code snippet in four different spots in your code. This allows you to just quickly call it and it does it. And then that's it. Call it and whatever. Now, functions are very fundamental as if you've, I'm sure you've picked up on already. Functions are very, very, very fundamental bit of JavaScript code that are used in virtually every program that goes above uh, a few lines of code. Functions uh, can be called within functions as well. So within, let's say, our add numbers function, we could call another function that writes to the console what the sum is or something like that. We can absolutely do that. And so for, for, so for example, to sort of, again, like kind of cap this off, um, or sorry, excuse me, before we talk about that, I want to talk about returning values. So functions can be called within functions as well, and they can return the values that they calculate. So in this example, you might have a function called display sum. That's the name of our function, which styles and adds a div to your web page that contains the sum of two numbers. You can call the add numbers function fr- um, from earlier within the display sum function, right? So now you call that, it does the calculation, and then it returns the sum back. And now 
your original function will then go in and with that sum that it now has, it will then go and do all the add the div, do all the styling, all that stuff to add to the page as you as you would um, as you would see it. You don't need to have this thing just like run really quick. You can have it run in functions and you can keep calling these functions just as you need it. One function can call another and they can return values to each other so they can work together. The add numbers function in this case is passing in the sum. There's, or sorry, it's returning the sum back to the display sum function. And then that's handling all the styles and all that type of stuff. I think before we just dive into the next example here, uh, one one thing I do want to mention, I, we're not going to talk about asynchronous JavaScript or anything like that in this in this episode, just because it's a little bit beyond the scope. But I do want to talk about how JavaScript runs functions and how JavaScript runs code in general. And essentially, when you're looking at your code, that's how you're seeing the code run. It's a little bit different from other code from other uh, coding. Um, from other programming languages, some of them are a lot more parallel or a lot more asynchronous where it runs differently depending on how you declare it. But it, just looking at pure JavaScript without any sort of async or promises or anything like that, it runs uh, synchronously, which means one line after the other. So once one line finishes, it'll run the next line. Once another line finishes, it'll run the next line. And it's the same with functions. So if you if you run a function, then it'll run the entire function, including all the lines within that function, until... Once it's done that, it'll run the next part, the next function or the next part of the code. So you just got to think about it from top to bottom. It makes it very easy to read JavaScript code when it's not like convoluted with promises and async statements. And there was a reason why we kind of went back to that with something like async await JavaScript, where it allows you to do the same thing, even with statements that aren't supposed to run in uh, synchronous form. And all that type of stuff, you know, absolutely is important, but it is like more advanced things that you will start yes. touching on. Like if you're just at this point where you're just starting to understand what variables are and what functions are and those type of things, you'll, you'll just get there. Like it's not something that you need to specifically sort of seek out right now. Like once you get these topics that we're talking about in this episode, you can start writing in some, writing some code up and then you'll, you'll probably see async and all that weight and all that stuff. You'll, you'll, you'll see all those things in different code snippets as you Google things, and then you'll hopefully look them up and start to understand them and maybe even start implementing them as needed. The next one here is how do you make decisions in your code? So this is something that a lot of beginners are going to struggle with for sure. And it's, you know, how do you, you know, if something's going on, like, how do I do something if it's this way? How do I do something if it's this way? How do you make your decision? How do you make some decisions inside of your code? So sometimes you want to make a decision, let's say, if a user enters in their birth year. So they were born in this year, and you want to display a name of a song that was released that year. So this is where if statements come in. So if you notice, even when you're sort of kind of describing it, you're saying, if the user enters a certain year, then I want to display the name of the song. or I want to display a name of a song released that year. So an if statement kind of works in work or kind of was, I guess, originated from sort of the, the general sort of statement of what you're trying to do. And if a condition is met, then you do a code snippet. If a condition is not met, then that code snippet is ignored or it's not run. And you can make them more complex with else ifs. So you might think in this particular example, well, my user might enter in 1971, but they might enter in 1972. What do we do then? And so you can make your if statements more complex by adding an else if in there. So you can say, 
you know, if the person was born in 1971, then display a 1971 song name. But if, like else if a person is born in 1972 and they enter that, then display a 1972 song name. And you kind of just go through it and, and in um, – in JavaScript, there's not an if and a then. You just put if, and you just put an else if, you just put else as well, which we're going to touch on in a second. There's no then, but many other programming languages, or at least the ones that I grew up learning, the ba- I think Basic has it, uh, if memory serves, they use if then, if then, if then. JavaScript doesn't have that then part, but just for the description of, of uh, if statements in an episode, it makes it a lot easier. Now, I did mention an else, and what does that mean? Well, sometimes you want a catch-all. Where if none of the statements are met, if none of the ifs are met, if none of the else ifs are met, you want to have a catch-all. So you then put an else there. So then, and usually you'll write your else at the end of your conditional statement. And you'll say something like, you might, you might state something on the page like, Hey, we don't have any songs that were written that year in our records. This lets the user know, and this is a bit of a UX thing, but this lets the user know that there wasn't an error. They didn't just type in 1973 and no song displayed, and it was because the app is bugged out. You just might not have a song in your records that are based on that. And so that kind of, it's a bit of a UX thing, but it also helps in, and I'm sure, 100,000 million other programs, whatever the heck out there will use ELFs for a million other things. But for our example, this is kind of the catch-all statement. Hey, you're not born in 1971, you're not born in 1972, so unfortunately we only have two statements here. This is what you're going to see. Now, there's enough... Go ahead. Before we jump into this, to the other statement, uh, I do want to talk about like how you're comparing statements, right? Like So you're, Matt was saying, like if... 1971, then do this. If 1972, then do that. Um, those are called comparators, and they're actually also a very key component in in something like a conditional statement, if statement, right? Because you don't have to compare directly. Like if the you know that what you're putting in is exactly equal to 1971, you can also compare comparatively in se- in the sense that like is it greater than 1971? Is it less than 1971? Stuff like that. And that becomes really powerful when you're talking about something like age restriction. Let's bring that up as an example. If you do age restriction and you only do it based on direct comparisons, imagine how many if statements you would have to write. If people are living to 110 years old, every single year you'd have to write 100 and like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up to 110. You'd have 110 if statements. Okay. Whereas if you just do, hey, if this user, if whatever you entered, if you entered 19 and we're looking for 21, you can just say, well, if nine, if user, what user entered is greater than or equal to 21, then allow them in. If it's less than, then don't allow them in. So that's two statements to cover all of those ages. Okay. So that's where the power of comparators with simple like logical comparators of greater than or less than or equal to comes in. There's there's more competitors out there like not. So if it's not equal to, um, I'm trying. I'm kind of blanking on the rest of them. But I, or, or there's an or and an and comparator where like if this statement and this statement are equal, then the if statement is okay. And then there's like an or comparator if this statement or this statement are equal, or if this statement or this statement are true, one of them is true, then keep going. So there's multiple different ways and multiple different combinations you can use them to kind of limit the the amount of code you need to write to do these conditional statements. 
yeah, that, it's a it's a good point. Like we're not we're not covering we're not covering uh, these operators and these comparators, uh, you know, in this episode. But it's absolutely probably going to be the very next step. If you're just getting started, you listen to this episode, you understand these topics, you're gonna you're gonna absolutely see comparators and um, I know other things. It within within their code, and you're going to end up going and looking up and being like, "Oh, how do I add numbers together? How do I, you know, check if one's smaller than the other? How do I check if one's greater than the other?" Et cetera, et cetera. And that's absolutely true. Is it'll take the the decision making game to a whole new height because you're not just limited. You're not just limited to like, oh, like if the number is this, if the number is that. Because imagine in the, in our example of a, a person entering a birth year. Just for the sake of an audio show, we only have two cases, 1971, 1972. But imagine trying to fulfill, like fill in an entire thing of like a hundred years or something like that. It's way too much, especially if like, let's say 50 of them, you're just going to say, Hey, we don't have anything on record and you don't want to have a catch all. Like it's just, it's going to be too much. So you can use comparators that way. Absolutely. And again, with more complex programs, you're going to end up using comparators all the time for that type of thing. There's an alternative to an if statement as well, and that is the switch uh, statement or what I used to call it or what I was used, what I was taught as originally in high school was called the switch case. So you might hear it be called that. And in my opinion, these are a little less human readable. Some people really like them. I don't really use them because I don't like the syntax. That's just my own thing. But I do find them specifically helpful and I will use them when a user is selecting um, options in a dropdown list because the the uh, cases are already preset. So what is a switch case? Just to explain it, basically you give it an expression. So you say, you know, uh, check on the a variable for me. There's a variable named a. Check on the a variable for me. And in the case that a is one, then do this. In the case that A is three, do this. In the case that A is 17, do this. And then there's also, of course, a default statement as well, which is kind of like the else, the else statement, which is your catch all you can do as well. And it allows you to sort of pick and choose that. When you're in a drop down menu, like I said, everything's preset. The user's not filling anything in. They're simply clicking a list and already doing it. So my switch case, my cases are really simple. I'm just looking at the value that the user has set. I already know what that, what that data is going to be. So I do that for everything else. And maybe, you know, Mike, you can correct me on this for everything else. I use an if statement because I kind of just go to the if statement logically. That's just how I kind of go towards it. Uh, when I start writing, I'm like, oh, I need to quickly make it like a decision here. And so I just immediately start writing an if statement, whether that's right or wrong. I, I don't know which one's better, but switch statements or switch case statements, if they might, that they might be called are still valid, of course. And, um, you can use, you know, either ifs or switch statements as you need or as you prefer. Yeah, they can mostly be used interchangeably. I lean heavily towards if statements as well, um, just because I think they're more human readable, like Matt said. But where I see switch cases used a lot in JavaScript is if you're coming from a language that supports state machines, where like essentially based on what's happening on the screen right now, like in the UI, the state of your application changes. So like if you're an admin, you have different UI. If you're a just a regular user, you have different UI. If you're not logged in, you have different UI or like different statements. That's where I see switch cases used the most, state machine logic, because it kind of fits in the 
mind in the mindset of a of a switch case. So state machine again, you're checking states and running certain code based on the state. Uh, it makes sense, but having said that, you can technically do that with an if statement as well. Um, but it's just not used as often for a state machine. I do find I do find switch cases to almost be antiquated or something. I don't know. It's it's a weird. It's almost like I remember learning about them in in high school, so I don't use them. I'm not really sure uh, what the heck that is. Um, but I think uh, they're just not as readable. Like it's it's just not as readable as if statements for ninety percent of what we do. And also, so like it. you and I were going through this too, Mike. Like you have to put breaks in there, and I'm not going to like get yeah. into the syntax on air here, but you have to put or not too much, I guess. But you have to put breaks in there, and then it kind of gets awkward because it's like, oh, I forgot a break. Now all these things are running, and like maybe there's a use case for that, but like I feel like if you leave it a break, it's probably more like an accident. <laughs> so now you have like a bunch of cases running when it's not matching, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I prefer an if statement myself, but. Mike wants to talk about loops and arrays, specifically, how do you store multiple values in one place? And then once they're stored there, how do you go through them and maybe change them or manipulate them in some way? Exactly. I think this will end off this episode with uh, another very core feature of programming in general. Obviously, JavaScript falls into that, but I think it's important to understand how arrays, like how multiple data sets can be stored in one thing inside of JavaScript and also how you can then kind of uh, use that. And to use that, you're going to need something called a loop. And let's get into it. So when you want to store multiple pieces of related data and easily then access the different data, you can use something called an array. An array is a data structure similar to what Matt was saying, a number, a, a string, uh, a Boolean. An array is another one of those data structures. It, an array can be declared and stored as a regular JavaScript variable, like I just mentioned, and you can use a the notation of square brackets. So when you see a square bracket in programming, you're going to assume usually that that's going to be associated to an array of some sorts. Imagine you want to list all the years that a person can be born, right? So like, let's say you're, you're again, you're doing like a drop down menu for selecting a user's age. Okay, so there's 19, like... I don't know what, what the age range right now is, but let's say it's like 1920 to 2000 and, uh, 2023, right? So the, the whole scope. To do that, let's say without an array, you would literally need a separate variable for each age. And then you would need to then literally like write each variable inside your dropdown list. So you're going to be writing a hundred or 150 different variables in there. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a long time. So how would you do that with a data structure that allows you to then write them all in one place, in one variable, and then loop over it? So looping is, is the ability to actually iterate over something for however much, how many times you want, right? So a loop in program is a programming concept that allows you to repeat an action a set n- amount of times. The set amount is a number that you can define or you can use a variable to set that amount. So you can set that variable to whatever number you like. So you can set it to six, seven, whatever number. Or you can use a check as well, a condition like, does the is the year greater than the current year? Then stop displaying. So there's different ways to set variables. The other way and more relevant to the example that we were just talking about, let's say you have an array of years. 
You can use a length property of that array. So every array will have a dot length that you can access and use that as your iterator in a loop. So how many times you want to run this loop? Well, the length of the array. And then what you can do is you write one piece of code or one function that will then take that year and somehow make it into a drop-down menu. We're not going to get into how all that works because that's diving deeper and deeper into UI and DOM manipulation, and that's a little bit out of the scope. But regardless, this allows you to write less code. I think a lot of what we're talking about here is really, first of all, allowing you to do very complex things, conditionals. There's certain things you can't do without conditionals. Looping, however, you could argue, yes, you could technically just, you know, copy paste a lot of code and it, you can get around loops. But the idea is that you want to do it more efficiently, easier to read, easier to do large, complex structures. Imagine if you had something that's maybe not 100, but 10,000 uh, elements in an array. How are you going to do that manually? Well, that's pretty much impossible. So again, loops are a fundamental part in dealing with larger data sets especially in a, with an array of some sorts that has a bunch of information in one place, okay? So it's, it's tough to explain this at a really high level without diving into the code, but I think it's really important to at least understand what you're getting into when you're first starting out with JavaScript. Like if I'm thinking the ideal person listening to this episode right now would be someone that has maybe just started reading, or just started a course, just started down the path of learning programming in general, it would be great if I were to have listened to something like this and understood the just the basic core concepts from a very high level so that when I'm reading about, hey, how do I do this, you know, drop down menu with a bunch of years? Well, now I can be like, okay, well, I listened to the episode. It talked about arrays. It talked about loops. I know that I can iterate over something and I can store something in one object, in one array. And then I can just use that and iterate over it. So maybe it'll help you connect the dots while you're learning development a little bit more, help you get the terminology a little bit down, the core concept terminology. Um, I'm really curious to see how this helps you. So if you're, if you found that this is something useful, if you want us to continue to do episodes like this at a very high level, introducing core concepts to like new developers, just let us know. We're at HTML Everything on Twitter and at HTML Things on Instagram. Um, and we'll continue to make episodes like this because it was really interesting for us to do this kind of exercise because a lot of this is second nature. Like we've been doing this for, you know, eight years, nine years. So it, it was actually hard for us to break it down into a high level. Well, especially the scoping because like the scoping, like we mentioned, like the like like global local and then i think there's like the block i think is what they call it now um like the block is new and we just sort of went from knowing global and local and then this other one kind of got tacked on and we're like okay cool and kind of you know kind of just kept carrying on and it you don't it's almost like little things like that sometimes you almost have to go back to school a little bit you have to like read up a little bit of theory and it's like we just didn't do that because it was only a little thing that was added um i'm sure some people or some people's programs it's you know, crazy useful, but for the stuff that I work on anyway, it's just something that I just sort of like was like, okay, cool. And I just kind of kept going on. And when I finally like kind of went through this episode, uh, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like this is going to be confusing. Like loops, for example, like this is kind of why we ended on loops and arrays is because a hundred percent people are going to get around 
absolute beginners are going to get around loops and arrays, and they're going to do so by having more than likely a whole bunch of global variables, num1, num2, num3, num4, num5, num5 num6, and then eventually it's going to become so cumbersome that they're going to be like, How, can I just store this in one spot? And that's your array. But then it's like, uh-oh, now I can't in my conditional statement look up num1. If num1 is equal to this, if num2 is equal to this, if num3 is equal to this, now I can't do that. Is that bad? What do I do? Okay, well, I need to loop or I need to flip through my array. It's almost like flipping through – maybe this is a bad analogy now because no one uses these anymore. But it's almost like flipping through a Rolodex where you just like flip through, flip through, flip through where all your addresses are on this one circular Rolodex and you're flipping through the addresses and the business cards that are attached to it. Um that's effectively what you're doing in an array. A Rolodex is an array and you're looping through it by flipping through it is, is, is how I envision it myself and looping. And I'll, I'll say this, like, this is like a little tip for myself is this looping and, and arrays can get really confusing in terms of like you trying to visualize what's going on. I would just console log the crap out of everything. That's what I do personally. Like even to, to this day, like I'll save a bunch of data in local storage or whatever and it'll, it'll have like a whole bunch of data in there. It'll be like an array and it'll have a whole bunch of data. It's not just numbers. And I'm like, man, <laughs> like I just need a bit of a visual aid while I work on this because I'm so kind of close to this array. So close to like looping through this. And so I will, I will console log out the array just so I can see it in the console log. So that if I'm going through, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it's the third one or whatever. Oh, it's the fourth data. Oh, this is actually going in, in the incorrect order, those type of things. So the, I would say arrays and loops, is when things start becoming a little bit hard to visualize. I don't know what you think, Mike, but with ifs and if statements, um, it's very much like the, like how you say the words, like if this, then that, if this, then that, else this, you know, it's very kind of close and that's what it's inspired by. But the loops and the arrays are very sort of where things get programmatic. Variables too, but variables are kind of an easy concept that you can get pretty quick. But this is kind of, at least for me, where I, started being like, okay, I got to study a bit, <laughs> especially in high school. It's like, I don't really know what's going on here. I know an array I could store a bunch of stuff in, but like, how do I go through it? Okay. There's this loop thing. Well, the syntax is kind of weird. Okay. I got to kind of remember this. And then, oh, there's more than just four loops. Okay. There's something here. And then the list goes on and the list goes on. But I think that concludes this episode. Uh, it was fun kind of going back almost on memory lane for Mike and I. Um, if uh, Unless you have anything else to add, Mike, I think we can uh, run the old conclusion. Runner up. All right. Well, we are on Patreon. If you want to support the show, you want to support episodes like this, that is patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, Babe Hashdash, NineBlockMedia, NineBlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com, Gunner Brunette via gunnerbrunette.com, Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com, and Garrett Segal. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly for the last is a new patron. So hopefully I'm saying that correctly. If I'm not, please correct me. You know where to message me. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. 
web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.